we're talking about Moses. And um, he's started to this process of doing what God has called him to do and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And we've talked about the idea that in order to do that, he's had to go against Pharaoh, and Pharaoh and the Egyptians had a whole series of gods that they worship. And so God basically, oh, there you are. How you doing, Jeff? Good? All right, all right. Um, normally you guys are over here. Uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm sidetracked. I'll get back to it. Here we go. Uh, sidetracked your mind thing. But uh, here we go. So God has to show Pharaoh who thinks he's God, that he's not God, and he has to show all of the Egyptians that their gods aren't gods. And so God is going to go one-on-one with a number of the gods of Egypt, and we've talked about it so far. We talked about the first two plagues um, where he turns the um, water into blood and frogs come up, and we talked about those last week. Uh, And we're going to talk this morning about the third plague, so let me give you a couple of distinctions because we're going to break this down a little bit. The first three plagues bring discomfort, okay? The next three plagues bring destruction. By the time we're in today, we're going to go all the way through plague number six, all right? So we're going to cover all of those this morning. And that's going to be important to our understanding of as we get to the application. Uh, one of the things I want to do, because you're going to see this a lot, and you're going to ask me this question, so I'm going to go ahead and... Uh, what's going on, guys? Uh, I'm on. You're on. No, no. Oh, what happened? Are you guys get me to the Moses one? Ah, there we go. That's what I want right there. You're going to see this symbol a lot. Um, it's uh, and I don't. I'm going to get the pronunciation wrong. Um, a N K H. That's it's an Egyptian symbol. You're going to see it a lot. You're going to see it as we bring up the slide. Because most of the Egyptian gods are holding this, right? And in the Egyptian culture, this was a symbol for life or everlasting life or power of life and death. So often the Egyptians believed that their gods had the power of life and death. And ultimately, when we get to the 10th plague, you're going to see God shows that he is the God of life and death, not these other gods. So it's going to be something that you're going to see common coming up over and over again. Uh, So this morning we're going to get um, Exodus chapter 8. Here's where we're going to start. Um, We've had the plague of um, the blood uh, turned to water, or water turned to blood. We've had the plague of the frogs. Now we come to the third plague. Uh, It's interesting, something, a couple unique things. Number one, this this plague, they get no warning about. This just happens. And notice what it says. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron to stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground, and throughout the land of Egypt the dust will become gnats. And they did this. And when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came upon the people and the animals, and the dust throughout all the land of Egypt became gnats. So this is a plague of discomfort. Okay? Um, Notice this, though. Here's what happens. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. Since the gnats were on the people and the animals everywhere, the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. In other words, even the pagan magicians, pharaohs, religious leaders, uh, worshiping, even those people stepped back and went, okay, look, we can't do this anymore. They, they, They could turn water to blood. They could do frogs. But God said, enough is enough. You can't do anymore. We're done. I'm done with you. We're, you're not going to be able to do what I can do now. I'm not going to allow it. 
And so for the first time now, and again, I think this is insane. You have a lot of gnats, and then the magicians try to make more gnats. But again, and I'll tell you something about the world. Don't be shocked by the craziness of the world. Okay? Turn water into blood. Pharaoh looks at the magician and goes, can you do that? Yeah, we can do that. Good. You got more water to blood. Can you do that? Yeah, now we got more frogs. And you go, that would, that's insane. Who would do that? But yet, that's, the, that's often what happens in the world is it's crazy. And, you know, sometimes I don't understand as Christians, we get so shocked by it. I don't know why you're shocked by it. You ought to expect crazy. You ought to expect not nonsense. You ought to expect silly stuff. And that's exactly what you see here in Pharaoh. And so it says they would not listen, just as the Lord said. And you go, okay, so what, what's the deal with the gnat thing? Um, this happens to be one of the Egyptian gods. Um, this is um, Jeb. Uh, he is actually considered um, uh, the Egyptian god of the earth. So he was the one that was kind of responsible for the earth. So you can imagine, all of a sudden now the earth starts moving and everything's gnats, and you go crying out to your god, Jeb, and nothing happens. And God kind of saying... Jeb ain't God. You can cry out to him all you want. You make all the sacrifices you want. But you know what? It ain't going to do anything. So then it gets, then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, confess Pharaoh as he goes to the river and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go that they may worship me. If you don't let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials, on your people and on your houses. The houses of the Egyptian will be full of flies. Even the ground will be covered with them. So now let's picture this. We got dead fish from the river piled up, rotting in the Egyptian sun. We got piles of dead frogs. We got gnats all swept up and being blown all around in the piles because they're so light that the wind's just taking them everywhere. And now we got flies. What a great place to live. Um, you know, this would have been an awesome travel brochure. And it says... The houses are full of flies. Even the ground will be covered with them. Now notice this, because this is very important from this point on. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. But Moses, um, oh, I skipped a whole section in there, didn't I? Um, I was goofing around with this this morning, and I messed this up. Um, it, it said, let my people go. Uh, okay, let me tell you what this says. You've got to read it for yourself. Um, but what basically what happens is, he says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, but i got another idea. How about if I give you three days to worship here in the land, and uh, we'll do that instead. That way you won't, well, you won't have to go away. We'll just make that deal. And th that's where it picks it up. But Moses said that wouldn't be right. The sacrifices we offer the Lord would be detestable to the Egyptians. And we offer sacrifices that are detestable in their eyes. Not, will they not stone us? We must take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God as he commands it. And Pharaoh said, I will let you go to offer sacrifice to the Lord your God in it, but you must not go very far, and I'll pray with me. And so Moses says, okay, we'll, I'll pray to God that he'll take the flies away since you're going to let us now go. And what happens is, basically, um, Pharaoh changes his mind and he doesn't. Uh, he doesn't let him go. And so Moses is like, okay, now what do I do? This is actually the God that a lot of people think that it was an attack to him. Um, uh, Kheper, I think is how, K-H-E-P-R is how you pronounce him. Um, 
Okay, have you ever seen the mummies movies? Any of the mummy movies? You know how they have those beetle things in them? Okay, that's this guy's head. It's it's one of those beetles. Uh, It's a big deal in in Egyptian culture. Um, It has the head of a beetle. Basically, he was considered the god of creation, of movement, of the sun, of rebirth, and that kind of thing. So all of a sudden, it's almost like God saying, do you want to worship this stuff? Then I'm going to give it to you in abundance and see see if you really really want it. You really want it. And so what happens is uh, the whole thing's, and so he says, Moses, I'm going to let you go. And so Moses prays to God, the flies go away. And then all of a sudden he says, now can we go? And Pharaoh says, no. So then we come to the next one. So then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of Hebrews says, let my people go so we may worship me. If you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them back, The hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock in the field, on your horses, your donkeys, your camels, your cattle, your sheep, and your goats. Notice what it says. But I will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt, so no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. The Lord set a time and said, tomorrow the Lord will do this on the land. So now Pharaoh gets a choice. Pharaoh, you can... You can, you, you can make the choice to let the people go, and this won't happen. Or if you don't, this is what's going to happen. And, of course, Pharaoh does it, and it says tomorrow, uh, the next day the Lord did it. The livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one animal belonged to the Israelites died. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. You go home today, everything you own, animal-wise, is dead. What does that do to your income? What does that do to your whole future? It goes right, right out the window. Now, I'm not talking about going home and losing a calf during calving season. I'm talking about you lose it all. One shot. Everything. Everything that you use to plow the field is gone. It's dead. First of all, just the, the smell alone of dying, rotting animals, in addition to all the others, would have been overwhelming. And then, and I don't know how this worked, but over in Goshen, where the children of Israel live, there's sheep ban, and there's cows mooing, and there's dogs barking, and every, every other kind of animal noise over there. But in Egypt, it's all dead. Um, the Egyptians, th- this was a big deal in the, in the, oh, this was a big deal, oh. What happened, guys? Was that me or you? Me? Okay. I don't know what's happening there. I got to figure it out. But anyway, uh, here's the thing. Uh, This is uh, Hathor. Um, This is the um, goddess. She has a cow head, actually. Uh, She was considered uh, goddess of the sky, solar, dance, sexuality, beauty, love, motherhood, everything. Um, this was the god uh, Apis. Actually, in Egyptian culture, there are three bulls that are associated with Egyptian culture. Often in the Egyptian world, uh, you will see bulls associated with pharaohs uh, because it was a symbol of strength. It was a symbol of power. Basically, what God said is, you want to worship this? I'm going to wipe them all out. Every one of them. Every one of them has gone. Um, I'm going to show you that I'm God. Go pray. Go ahead, go pray, sacrifice, do whatever you want. But here's a question. What are you going to sacrifice now? It's all gone. 
Because you need to understand something. I am God. The God of the Hebrews is God, not Apis, not Hathar, not Jeb. I am God, and you need to know that. You need to let my people go because I am God, and the gods you serve are not gods. And you want to make them first? Then I'm going to show you that they're not first, I am. And in the Egyptian world, my God's bigger than your God was the game everybody played. And God just said, you want me to play the game? I'm going to step in and show you who's God. Moses is saying, let my people go and this all ends. And Pharaoh's heart gets harder and harder and harder because God's trying to teach everybody. He is God and these things that they worship are not. So then you come to the next one. And then Moses, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, take handfuls of soot from a furnace. And then Moses, toss it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh. It'll become fine dust over the whole land and festering boils will break out on people and animals throughout the land. You go, wait a minute, I thought all the animals died. Think about this for a second. Where are you going to get animals? Yeah. So now all of a sudden the children of Israel who have their animals are selling them to the Egyptians. Because they need them. And what animals they do get, guess what? I mean, you want to talk about, you know, I mean, you know, I'm not trying to be culturally insensitive or anything else, but you want to talk about a Jew being in a position to make a deal and make some serious money really fast. You could charge pretty much whatever you want. And all of a sudden now, and, and so they have the animals and it says, uh, and they took soot and stood before Pharaoh and tossed it in the air and festering boils broke out on the people and the animals. I, has anybody in here ever had a boil? Okay. I have. I had one in high school on my chin. And I remember when it was so bad because I'd be sitting in class and I'd forget about it and I'd go like this. And I mean, it was, it was excruciating. And, and so if I had to go and have Dr. Lancet, and that, that was not pretty. But anyway, uh, festering boils break out on all the animals and all the people. And notice what it says. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and all the Egyptians. So now all of a sudden, these people can't even come out. And Pharaoh's like, where are my magicians? Uh, you don't know. They can't, they can't move. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord said. Now, I don't know if this is true or not, but here's something I do think is significant. In most of the plagues, when we read about a plague, we read about God taking it away. You don't read about that in this one. No point does it say the boils go away. So I don't know if this is one that stayed around for a while. Um, the magicians don't play a big part of it anymore. Um, I, and, and I'll just tell you why I think it hung around for a while, because here was the goddess Isis, who was the god of healing. Um, if you know anything about Egyptian world, Isis plays a big role. Um, this is kind of what she looked like um, as far as Egyptian culture goes. Uh, she was the god of healing. And I almost have this idea that God just kind of went, you know what? I'm going to show you she's not God. She's not the god of healing. I'm the god of healing, but she's not. So I don't know. So let's, um, so, so that's the, that, that takes us up to the, the plagues. Uh, so let's get to what we can use this week um, that I think will help us. Here's the first thing. 
And this is tough. This is hard to preach. But it is what it is. God's power saves or God's power destroys. His power is the same. What changes is who experiences it. Those who follow God experience the power of God to save. Those who fight against God find the power of God to destroy. That may seem like a very, very simple principle, but that, that is profoundly deep for us. Because you see a difference now. Things are destroyed in Egypt because they're fighting God. Things are not destroyed over in Goshen because they're not fighting God. They're God's people. And I have people who look at this passage, they go, I can't believe that God would do that. I mean, think of all the innocent animals that dies. And, and ultimately, when we get to Passover, it's like, think about all the innocent firstborn that die. But there's a principle here about God. He is just. And those who follow him, he saves. And those who reject him, he destroys. You know, well, you're talking about that hell thing, aren't you? I don't believe in that hell thing. Let me tell you something. If you believe in a heaven thing, you've got to believe in a hell thing. Yin and yang. Opposites. And you go, well, well, I can't believe that a God would do something like that. No, you don't understand. That same God went to the cross and saved you and offers you eternal life. All you have to do is say yes. You don't have to do anything. All you got to do is say yes. And if you want to say no your entire life, you're not giving God many options. And you go, well, that's harsh. It might be harsh, but it's truth. And the Bible, and that's one of the things, we're in a book of Exodus in the Bible, and God is establishing this principle of, I have the power to destroy, and I have the power to save. I will destroy those who stand against me. I will save those who stand with me. And you see it here. And I beg you to put your faith and trust in Christ because that power saves you. And you go, well, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I, just don't, I just can't believe that. No, no, no. Listen, God, th- just think about it for a minute. Okay, so I, know, I understand God's not us and we're not God and, and stuff like that. But I want you to think about it as a human being, okay? Just think about it for a human being for a minute. God says, I don't want to destroy you. I, I, don't want to, I don't want you to spend eternity apart from me. So I'm going to make a way that you and I can be together forever. And I'll come to heaven. I'm going to... I'm going to come to the earth. I'm going to spend 33 years here. I'm going to live a sinless life. I'm going to die on the cross for you. I'm going to take all my sin upon you. I'm going to offer you eternal life. All you got to do is say yes. That's all I need you to do. Say yes, you want to follow me and follow me. That's it. That's that, it's that simple. Here's a gift. You're born, and every single time your heart beats, that's an opportunity to say yes. And every time your lungs fill up with the air and exhale, that's an opportunity to say yes. So like Jethro this week, his heart starts beating and his lungs start breathing. And there's an opportunity now for the rest of his life, every second, to say yes to God. And he goes, five years old, six years old, no, 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 15 years old, no, 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 25 years old, no, 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 30 years old, no, 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 40 years old, no, 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 no. 50 years old, I don't believe that. That's just a bunch of stuff. Everybody's saying, no, 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 no. 60 years old, no, 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 no. 70 years old, no, 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 no. You've had every opportunity for 70 years to say yes to God. 
And then you stand before him and you go, oh, hey, now I want to say yes. Is that just? Is that fair? You've given him no option but to say no. You've given him no option but to experience his judgment. He judged your sin on the cross. He offers you eternal life. He says, here, 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 every time your heart beats, every time your lungs take a breath, he's giving you the opportunity. And you say, no, 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 no. You think he's going to look at you and go, you know what? Look, see, I did that. All the other people had to do it this way, but I'll make an exception for you. I don't like it, but that's the way it is. And so every time that you and I have the opportunity, all we have to do is say yes to God. To those children of Israel who said yes to God living in Goshen, they experienced God's power to save them. To those who fought God and said, no, 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 our God's not, we're not going to worship you as God, God destroyed them. The power of God saves or destroys depending on what you choose. Second principle, God's people are different. God makes a distinction. There are the Egyptians who are against God, and there are the children of Israel who are following God. There's a distinction. These people are different from these people. In fact, it says Pharaoh sends people over to say, go check out what's happening in Goshen. They come back and they go, you're not going to believe this, but everything's alive over there. And you're going to see this over and over and over again. In, in the next three plagues that are coming, too. And they're going to come back and they're going to go, you don't understand, this is different. Everything over there, what's happening here isn't happening over there. You know why? Because they're different. Please hear me. We're different. If you're a child of God, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are different. You're not supposed to be like that. Why? Because you're different. God's people are different. He treats them differently. He deals with them differently. He handles them differently. Why? Because they're God's people. And we're to do it differently. And it's crazy for us to go, oh, you know what? I want to go be like them so that they will like me. We're different. And that's okay. Now, again, I am not one of those who think that we ought to be kooky as a $3 bill. Right? Those kind of Christians just, just send me over the edge. Okay? That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about the idea that we, we look at the world differently, we think differently, we act differently, we respond differently, we have a different mindset. You know, are you saying we should have nothing to do with that? No, no, not at all. Look at what Jesus does. This is the amazing thing about Jesus. Jesus is able to go into a world of people who are not like him. And yet, they like him. He doesn't become one of them in that sense of doing what they do. He's different, but he's different in such a way that they like him. He can go and eat at the house of a publican and sinner and, and, and people who are, who are on the far end of the spectrum as far as acceptability, and they go, we want him here. And he doesn't have to act like him, he's, but he's different. And that's our challenge. To go into a world and be different from the world. I, I, this really hit me this week. I was involved in a deal where um, I was talking to this guy and, and we were talking a business thing and that kind of thing. And he looked at me and he said, uh, you know what your problem is? He said, 
you're in a nonprofit world. He said, and, and you're trying to talk to people who are in a profit world. And, and, and all of a sudden, it, I started to realize, and I really started to struggle with this idea of, is it really that I have a nonprofit mentality, or is that more just a Christian mentality that I ought to just serve and help other people? Which is it? You know? Is it, is it, and I really, it was kind of one of the where I stepped back with it and went, yeah, you're right. I do look at this differently. And, and that's what I would challenge you for. All of us, as a Christian in this world, we, do, we are separate. We're different. So you know what? When it, when it comes to everything, we look at things differently than the world does. When it comes to our job, we look at it differently than the world does. You know why? The Bible says that when I work, I work as unto the Lord, not unto men. So whatever your job is tomorrow, I know you've got bosses and people above you and da-da-da, but you know what? You're not working for them. You're working for the Lord. That's it. So you do your job differently. Why? Because you're doing it for the Lord. You're not doing it for a paycheck. Um, when it comes to raising your kids, you do it differently. You know why? You have a different mindset. There's a different reason for, for what you're trying to produce with your kids than that. When it comes to when it, everything... When it comes to your finances, there's a different mindset. Um, when it comes to your, your interpersonal relationships with other family members, do it differently. Why? You know, um, you know what, what does the world say about in-laws? You know, good or bad? Bad. That's what the world says. That's why we have all the mother-in-law jokes, Okay. Um, it's not because we're propping them up. Uh, that's why. Well, what does the Bible say? You know, you can apply this across the board. Um, and I firmly believe if you're a Christian, you are different from the world in everything that you do. So that means that when you're in a checkout line, you interact with those cashiers differently than everybody else does. Your waiters and waitresses, you interact with them differently. Um, you know, my pet peeve, you know, and, and this is where God knows how to, how to push my buttons on stuff like this. You know, when I pull up to McDonald's and I'm at that drive through and they look at me and go, and this happened this week. Can you pull up there? You know what I want to say? It's a quarter pounder with cheese. You ought to have a dozen of them. You got to be kidding me. I'm not telling you, to, you know, give me one with just two pickles and, you know, mayonnaise on the third of it with a half a thing of lettuce on the other side. I'm not giving you some. I'm just a simple quarter pounder with cheese. Just put all the gunk on it, throw it in a box, slap it in a bag, hand it to me. What do you mean, pull up? That's what I want to say. But... As a Christian who is different, I say, sure. No problem. And then I think, you know, there are times this Christian thing really gets in the way of what I want to do. We're different. We're different. And trust me, the world notices. 
They may mock you for it. They may, they may pressure you against it and everything else. But you know what? They know. They know what's real and they know what's fake. And when it's real, it makes a difference. It makes a difference. And so I, I, I want to challenge you with this idea because I think sometimes we think I've got to be like them in order to, 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 to get there. No, no, that's not what God's children do. We want to be liked by them, but we want to be liked by them because of this, not because we are like them. That's the challenge. And the other thing is this, and, and I'm just going to throw it on the side, careful of compromise. Moses here faced a choice. When, when Pharaoh looks at him and says, hey, look, why don't you just stay here in the land and do your little worship thing? It would have been really easy for Moses to say, okay, that sounds like a good deal. Well, Moses stuck to what God had called him to do. God had called him to take the children out of Egypt. And Moses said, no, we can't do that. And we do that, it's not going to accomplish what God wants to do. So this is what we need to do. This is what we're going to do. Look, some of you, you're in businesses where here's the bottom line. The second you walk in the office tomorrow, you're going to be challenged to compromise. You're going to be challenged to cut corners. You're going to have bosses. You're going to have... People over you getting you and telling you you have to cut a corner in order for us to make quota, or in order for us to do this, or in order for us to do that. And there's always, there's always the challenge to cut the corners and compromise. And there's all the rationale in the world for it, because your boss is telling you to do it, because everybody else does it, and they get away with it, because if you don't do it, your competitor is doing it, and you're going to lose business. And you're, There's all kinds of challenges like that every single day. Don't do it. Because at the end of the day, you are working for someone far greater than that company who's cutting your paycheck. At the end of your life, you're going to stand before God and you need to be able to say, I did what God wanted me to do in order to honor God, period, case closed, the other stuff aside. You know, I have people sometimes they say, you know, I can't believe that you say the stuff that you say. I, first of all, I can't either. Um, and my wife, you know, my wife and my kids are really good about bringing some of that out. Um, but I, 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 I got to be honest with you, a long time ago as a pastor, here's what I decided. When I get up here and when I stand and when I preach, I preach for an audience of one. When I go back there and when I get home, and when I, I have one question. God, did I do what you asked me to do? And the way you asked me to do it, and are you pleased with it? I really don't care about the rest of it. Oh, it's nice to hear. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's nice to hear. Oh, pastor, you know, God really used that in my life. And, oh, pastor, you know, thanks for really preaching on that. I think we really needed that. that kind of, all that kind of stuff's good, okay, you know. But the reality of it is, audience one. You parent for an audience of one. You handle your finances, audience of one. You go and do your job tomorrow for an audience of one. At the end of the day, that's who you try to please. That's who you want, because that's ultimately who we're accountable for and to. So I want to challenge you, because I think there's some great lessons in here for all of us. So I end this morning with, um, with this idea. When you're faced with an opportunity to compromise, don't. Honor God with the right choice because we're called to do it differently. 
For those of you who haven't accepted God's offer of love and grace, please do not try to stand against God. Right now, his power will save you. will give you another way to live life. But just as he did with Egypt, he is just. And he will stand up against anyone who rejects him. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we don't like it sometimes, but Lord, we need to hear it and be reminded of it. Lord, for those of us that have experienced your grace and your love, Lord, available to anybody, thank you so much for using your power to save us, to be able to give us a way to live life here and then the life to come. Lord, for those who are fighting, Lord, would you soften our heart? Would you help them to understand that, uh, Lord, now is an opportunity. Now there is the opportunity to accept you. But, Lord, please don't let them fight you and reject you. For those who are struggling, Lord, with um, all the pressures to do it the same way the world does it, give them the strength and the courage to do the right thing. And, Lord, when we stand before you, May we be able to do it with no regrets. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand together. And we're